Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone, Charles Watts here, joined by James Bench as always, which means it is time for Inside Arsenal Extra Time. It's that time of the week once again. And James, mate, what on earth happened at Fulham? We are going to be starting this discussion on a bit of a, a down note. I do say, everyone, it's not going to be a proper down note episode. We will we will soon pick things up, but I think we've got to start, don't we? We were sitting next to each other in the press box, James, at Craven. <laughs> yeah, not we're not doing that again. Way. Not a nice way to start uh, to end 2023. Still unbeaten in 2024. Uh, that's all I can. Um, I mean, that's all you can take from it. Oh, it was rubbish, wasn't it? You know, the, it I mean, it, like right the way down to this has never happened to me at Craven Cottage before. Getting a a semi drenching from uh, the the bizarre rainstorm that hit us in the second half, and uh, you know, as I tweeted at the time, there was a shower on the pitch, uh, and the rain was quite bad as well because. Arsenal were absolutely diabolical. Mm. So bad that I do almost think you can sort of put it in a lead-lined container, hurl it to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean and never speak of it again because, you know, there are there are issues to, to sort of discuss big picture-wise. But I don't think you'll, you'll have many games in the future where every single player, with maybe the odd exception, you're just like... What's wrong with you? It was for me. It was a freak result, but I don't know. Do you, is there more we should be taking from this? I think if it carries on, obviously. But I, I'm kind of in the same position that you are. The fact that it was such a freakishly bad performance. You know, that was the type of performance we have not seen this season. Even in the other defeats, it's not been like that. You know, Newcastle wasn't a great game, but they didn't deserve to lose. It should have been nil nil, and it was a really tough place to go. And they they defended very well, and and it they still looked like a decent team in that Newcastle game. Villa. Again, they should have won that game. I thought they were good at Villa Park. They lost. Um, West Ham, they weren't great, but they still had 30 shots and play that game eight times out of 10. Again, in the exact same way, Arsenal win that match, I think. Fulham, they would just rank bad. It was just, like you said, everyone played badly. You know, Declan Rice, you know when Declan Rice isn't playing well or William Saliba isn't playing well, something very wrong in that team. And I just, I I think it was a one-off. I hope it was a one-off. It needs to be a one-off. Um, and it, yeah, it was just weird. I mean, we, we were just looking at each other, weren't we? We just kept turning to each other. This is, this is awful. It was, just, it was so, it was such an odd out of After nowhere. Yeah, exactly. That, that almost made it worse as well. That They actually got themselves in front, scored an early goal for, you know, they haven't been doing that re- regularly this mm. season, but actually did this time. And you think, oh, there you go. Perfect way to start off the game after the defeat at West Ham. You know, kick on, repeat a last season, 3-0 up at half-time, game set a match. And, and they just couldn't do it, could they? There was just, everyone was off it. Everyone was misplacing passes. No one was moving. There was no quick 
intensity to the plate. It was just really, really bad. And I think you know it's bad when Arteta walks into the press conference yeah. afterwards and he doesn't try and dress it up in any sort of way. He just holds his hands up and says, that was awful and that can't happen again. And one of those ones where almost whatever you asked him, he would come back with like, well, yeah, but we were awful. So, you know, I mean, I, I made a big point of this and I, to an extent, I think I might have oversaid it, although I kind of posted the graphics at the time about how when Arteta made those changes in the 67th minute, Arsenal were just totally devoid of ideas. It was give it to Saka, who's playing as a sort of one man right flank and see if he can do anything. And Arteta's sort of response to that, and I was like, well, he probably got a point, is he was like, well, look, you know, we were rubbish in the first half. We were rubbish in the second half. You know, it's not really about substitutions or anything like that. Like, I think there's a grey area there. My sort of criticism of Arteta would be, he, did, you know, if there are problems, you're the guy both, you know, in-game and at the club who is paid to fix them. But, like, yeah, sometimes you just have to say, like, maybe on a day like that there's actually nothing you can do to fix them everything's just off and mm. you just have to to get out of there and be grateful for the fact you don't have another premier league game until um the end almost the end of this month pretty much so at least after the fa cup tie there's this time to, to to well not to dwell to to look ahead and you know as we see the premier league table there it is not crisis point it is very disappointing for Arsenal, but five points to Liverpool at this stage of the season, that's eminently closable. I mean, City is the worry, especially as we speak, Erling Haaland's back in training. But, you know, people said the title race is done now. Of course, I can understand why they feel like that, but it's not, is it? No, of course it's not. <laughs> Absolutely it's not. And, you know, it's only a, a few weeks ago, the gap between Liverpool and Arsenal was about five points. And, you know, it can change very, very quickly. But you just, the thing for Arsenal now is that they've they've got, very little room for error because of these two defeats against teams that you don't expect them to lose against. It's like you can kind of say Newcastle away, they can lose that game. The way Villa mm. played the season, Villa Park away, they can lose that game. You know, City got there and lost the season. But home to West Ham and away at Fulham, you can't really afford to be dropping six points in those games. And it does leave you very little room for error. And, you know, you've got the game against Liverpool coming up in about four weeks' time in the league at the Emirates. And you kind of look at that now and think, if Arsenal lose that game and the gap stays as it is now, and then suddenly they're eight points behind and they've already played Liverpool at the Emirates, then it's you know then you're you're looking at a bit of a mountain to climb. So yeah, they, they haven't given themselves much wriggle now, and that's disappointing. And you look at it; they've taken one point from two games against Fulham this season. It's just, mm. and that's what cost them the title last season. Because as much as the table might say otherwise, well, I mean Fulham are still one of those low-ranked teams, and and last season, what really cost them the title? as much as it would have helped to beat City once, was they lost so many points to Southampton, to, you know, teams of that level. They were giving away points to, re to relegation teams. I frankly think in every other game, and we should say Fulham were brilliant, mm. really good at exploiting Arsenal's bad play. But, like, Fulham are a team that may well get dragged into the relegation battle. So that, that there is no way Arsenal can be taking a point from a team like that. I can't see Fulham getting dragged into a relegation battle, I have to say. Not if they play like that. I thought they were very... If they play like that, <laughs> they're more likely to get dragged into the Champions League battle. I, I thought they were very, very good. They're a weird side for them, aren't they? It's like they'll, they'll, they'll go and score five a couple of games in a row and then they'll lose a few in a row. And um, But yeah, when they're on it, I think they're a decent side. Having Jimenez back and having that focal point in the tank, Ooh. I think, helped them a lot. I thought Robinson against Saka was brilliant. I think and Robinson then, is... He's, he's a good player. A, I can see why... Yeah, just done my half season. Sorry, we're talking over each other. I was just going to say, I've just done my half season uh, team of the Premier League and, and he's in it as well as as Declan and, and William Saliba. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can definitely see why Liverpool being linked with him. He looked, he looked very good in that, in that battle against Bukaisaka. Arteta's subs, you talked about them there and like you said, you asked him about it in the press conference. It did feel afterwards, there was, a, there was an opportunity, I think, in that game to change things up in the second half, to do things a little bit differently because clearly what was happening wasn't working and I felt like he didn't take it in that game. You know, play Havertz, move Havertz to the nine, you know, bring bring Jesus on by by all means, but potentially, you know, have him in and around Havertz as a focal point up front. Mm. So if that lasts 20 minutes, you can cross, cross, cross balls in, at least do something a little bit different. And I thought taking Havertz off was a bit strange. I thought taking Martinelli off was a bit strange. I thought not bringing on Emil Smith Rowe was a bit strange. It was, it was, yeah. I, I don't think 
You know, Arteta's made some good substitutions this season. The subs have made a big impact on Arsenal's season so far, but I thought I thought it didn't work. I thought he got it wrong uh, at Craven Cottage. And those subs, yeah, they certainly didn't make make Arsenal better, put it that way, did they? Yeah, and I, I mean, I agree with you that he has made some good changes, but I don't always think he's the best at sort of changing the way that a game is played and the way it's no. going. Like Sometimes he'll just bring on a player and that player will play really well off the bench or that player, you know. But I, I mean, certainly I have to say this sort of back three thing, I don't actually think it's ever worked, you know, when they're chasing the game. I think sort of the fact that Reese Nelson scored one of the, the most thrilling goals the Emirates has ever seen doesn't mean that the system that sort of got you there worked that well. Mm. It looked weird against West Ham. It was atrocious um, at Fulham because no one used the left flank at all. Um, and it just seemed to sort of leave Saka entirely isolated without anyone to overlap for him. So I hope that, that that's a sort of moment to to confine that to the dustbin of history. And maybe next time it's sort of something like a 4 4 like you say, like get someone alongside Jesus up top. And frankly, as much as it hurts to say it, probably not Eddie and Ketia. Mm. Well, Havertz just feels come... like the man for that uh, that role, doesn't it? And yeah. I was really surprised to see him go. I know he didn't play very well. He didn't do he didn't do much when he was on the pitch. But I thought when the game was panning out the way it was, it didn't look like Arsenal were going to find a way through Fulham playing the way they were. So they were going to have to try something a little bit different. And as soon as you took, took Havertz off, there's basically no one left on that pitch who you could allow you to play that way and go a little bit more direct and try and feed off the scraps and get the balls into the box. Because the way things were going, it just clearly wasn't working. And as soon as you remove Havertz from that side, then there's no change in it after that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to talk about this game anymore. No, should we move Rubbish. on? I was going to say it yes. is probably, it is probably the time to move on. Although, it's a nice way to link into it, actually. What I wanted to talk about, so it's sort of based today's show on, or certainly the main part of the show, is on we are in the January transfer window. We know that Arsenal are struggling to be able to do much of note in this window. Not saying they won't do anything, but they're struggling to do much of note to change the squad in a dramatic fashion in terms of a big name signing because of FFP, because of the money issues they have. Any sort of big money moves probably going to have to wait until the summer. That's certainly the message that we're getting anyway, whether they pull a surprise out the bag and... And uh, and do something we will have to wait and see. But you kind of looked at that game. Emil was there, potential option to change the game off the bench against Fulham. Didn't come on. Reese did come on. Didn't do anything of note again. Um, you know, if Arsenal are going to try and do anything this summer, a big money sale or two big money sales might be the only way they can potentially do it. And you know, is it really, you look at this, what's the point? And I said this to you at the time when all the subs were made and Emil was left on the bench. I turned to you and I said, what, what's the point of him being here? Yeah. You know, I love Emil Smith-Rowe and I want him to play. I mean, viewers on this channel are bored of me saying it. Um, but if he's not going to be playing, if you're not going to bring him on, a player who is different to everyone else in the squad, really, in terms of an attacking sense, who could have potentially changed that game, but didn't. If you're not going to bring him on, then what's the point in keeping him? So surely you just sell or try and sell, bring some money in, and that will allow you to at least spend some money on a player who you will try and use. And the same, I mean, Reese does get the odd minute here or there, but he hasn't started a Premier League game since before June 2020. Yeah, it was, was a it Liverpool, July. It was a Liverpool game, wasn't it? When he scored yeah. against Liverpool. Um, when they were literally like, let's not start anyone in <laughs> Before the FA Cup final, uh, almost yeah. in the run up to that, wasn't it? After Liverpool already won the title. And so, what's the point? Really? So, yeah, I mean, is it time to sell these type of players now and just admit he's not going to use them, he doesn't want to use them? And, you know, if you want to do something to try and change things this January, what, what do you think on it? Um, I, I, I absolutely think it is. I think uh, we can part this discussion for a minute about who and how. Reese Nelson earns £100,000 a week. Mm. You know, good luck shifting a player like that. And I know there are interested clubs but I think some of it also comes from, you know, if Reese Nelson's earning 100 grand a week with with good bonuses, as I understand it, you know, add them in. <laughs> it can be a tough sell to, to Nelson as well if it's not the right environment in January. Um, I don't think Smith Rowe is going to push in January as well. But if we sort of put some meat on the bones here, I've got the numbers of minutes played since the start of last season. Of course, both these players have had injuries. Fair to say, 
Emil Smith Rowe, 281 minutes. Reese Nelson, 304. Rob Holding, no longer at the club, has almost as much as those two combined, 562. I mean, Kieran Tierney, 778. So you're talking between the two of them, they're giving you 580 minutes. What's that? Scarcely over six full games. Some people will say, oh, but this is big, you know, big teams run big, it's small squads, smaller squads than you think, and they don't rotate as much as you think. Uh, Calvin Phillips has more minutes than Reese Nelson. And I, and I thought sort of an apposite one for comparison based on position. Uh, so, yeah, about 580 combined minutes for Smith Rowe and Nelson. Harvey Elliott has 2,000 at Liverpool. And I know there are a few Liverpool fans who, who get frustrated when Harvey Elliott, who's 20, so a lot younger than Nelson Smith-Rowe, when he sort of doesn't really do what they want him to. This is just in the Premier League, by the way. Even, you know, Fabio Carvalho has about as many minutes as Nelson and has spent the last half of the season on loan. So I think the thing to say at the top is just Mikel Arteta is not using these players. These players are at an age where actually, you know, you and I know this now, every window, it seems the age where clubs look at a player and go, he's too old, it seems to go one down. Nelson's 24, Smith Rowe's 23. If they don't get sold soon, they probably become negative assets. There's sort of players that, that teams go, there's no resale value at all on a Smith Rowe, on a Nelson. And Arsenal have just been putting this off forever and ever and ever. You know, you and I both know in the summer, Emil Smith Rowe was kind of told you're not going anywhere. Now, I know that there are clubs that beforehand had sort of been sniffing around that situation, clubs in the Premier League, who thought, right, well, Arteta doesn't fancy Smith-Rowe, didn't use him for the whole second half of the season when Smith-Rowe was basically fit. Actually, fitter than he'd ever been before was what I was told. Mm. Arsenal just said, no, you're not going. Um, Nelson had offers from Milan. Brighton offered him 80 grand a week. Uh, Arsenal went, stay here, Reese. we'll give you 100 you know, we'll pay you more money than anyone else is offering to stay. <laughs> they have to be used or they, they should have gone then. Even Nelson, a hundred grand a week over, is it a four year deal? Mm. That's 20 million pounds. Now, you know, we know we can all talk about the FFP book value of selling these guys because you've never paid a transfer fee on them. But, you know, <laughs> that's 20 million you've invested in Reese Nelson that you could have spread across the cost of a player you actually used, to be frank. Yeah. Yeah, That's my no, I agree. I, I was, I was, you know, I could understand at the time when they gave him that new contract, I felt like it made sense in a lot of ways because it looked like Mikel was, you know, leaning on using him more. And if I did feel, and I still feel, 100 grand a week for a Premier League player now is not huge amounts. Mm. It's not, it's not you know, Mesut Ozil amounts as like, you're never getting him out of the club mm. type thing. You can get, you can get, I think, Reese Nelson out of the club on a hundred grand a week and then you can at least make some money on him. And I did think it would be a shame to lose a player like Reese on a free transfer. But um, I do feel just look, like, I mean, the stats you said there about the minutes that they've played, you kind of look at that and just think, well, what's the point? As, as popular as they are and, you know, certainly Emil Smith-Rowe, you just think it, oh, there's just no point in keeping him around. And you've, if you can sell to then bring in a player that is going to help the squad and going to play more in the squad that Mikel's going to feel feel like can do more, then you may you may as well do it. And yeah, I do. I I think we are at that point now. Um, as much as I want Emil to be a massive success at Arsenal, I think you just got it. You've got to cut if there is if there is interest there, whether that be in January or the summer, we'll have to wait and see. But you know, if there if this is the difference between potentially bringing in a big addition who can really help Arsenal in the Champions League and in the Premier League in the second half of the season. The difference between making that sign-in and not being able to do it, then perhaps you've got to bite the bullet and do it as unpopular as that going to be. And there are other players who fall into that category. But just uh, we've got a couple of co comments and questions on this very sort of topic right now. Here's one from Chris. He says, lads, is there any reason why Arteta won't play ESR? From my point of view, and I worry... Uh, my point of view, I worry that Arteta does what Southgate does at England and picks players on favouritism and not on form. Christ knows what ASC had done, uh, ESR sorry, has done, and I think I have more chance of being picked to play. Um, and then he talks about the sort of West Ham game and stuff like that, and how Smith Rowe could be uh, could have been better used coming on. I mean, as far as I'm aware, you know, there's there's nothing, there is no 
reason why he's not mm. doing it. You know, there's been no big fallout behind the scenes, and it's not that he's at, he's totally unhappy on on attitude or anything like that. And like you said, when Smith Rowe came back last season, I heard exactly the same as you that he was as fit as he'd ever been. He was playing pain free for the first time in ages. He was ready. So there was no fitness issues or anything like that. So there's no one reason that I can see other than he just doesn't fancy him. He just doesn't feel like he wants to use him and bring him on, whether that's he thinks he might lose the ball too much and he doesn't, you know, he, he takes his extra chances and, you know, and, and stuff. And he's not, he doesn't fit into this control model that maybe Mikel wants Arsenal to operate in now. I just don't know. So I, I don't see, and I don't know if you're different, that there is any one particular reason why he won't use ESR. No, I mean, I, I do agree with you that it's it comes down to that he's just not an Arteta player. I mean, don't forget, more probably even than Saka, he was kind of established as a first-team player in um, in Emery's time. And Arteta is not the sort of person that would hold that against ESR, not in the slightest. I think there is something about his... You know he, the way he likes to play football and the way he's at his best, as as we well remember from when Arsenal were kind of almost in that four four two, where he was the left winger. It's pushing the pace forward, you know, getting the ball and progressing it. It's not control. And now I think one of the things you could argue about this Arsenal team is it's lacking that mm. pace pusher. Actually, even from the left, I think we talk a lot about um, pace as a sort of raw thing i would say smith rowe is, is quicker than people think i don't have any data to back that up but i you know when you actually see him move up across the pitch he is really light on his feet but it's it's just it's about how he looks to progress the ball someone like trossard who's had his ups and downs it's just a bit more technical i think he will always go past first smith rowe gives you the dribbling give and go he can get for that reason he can get caught out of position quite easily i think he's less of a conservative option but like when that left hat flank is so clunky maybe that's exactly what is needed i know it'd be weird to sort of say drop Havertz, but kind of make it work try and make it work with with someone like smith rowe who in, who injects some pace but yeah i'm not aware of any one thing i just don't think he's an arteta player um, yeah. and we kind of knew that from the minute he signed fabio vieira to be frank yeah, I mean, you talk about it. I think he is definitely quicker than a lot of people think. I mean, I remember that goal. Remember the goal Orba scored in the in the North London derby, the three one when yeah. um, Smith Rowe scored the first goal, actually, didn't he? And then um, Saka scored the third. Uh, is that right? Yeah, that was right. And then Orba scored that goal when Smith Rowe broke down the left and just tore away from Tottenham on the mm. break or cutting the ball back to Orba. He's really rapid. He can he can certainly get moving. Um, and again, like you said, I think he does bring. This Arsenal team, certainly this season, is lacking that player who's got the got the ability to actually do things a little bit more off the cuff in the attacking third. And um, yes, it might not work all the time. It might leave a player slightly out of position. But you know, is that is that a bad thing? I do look at Smith Rowe and wonder, you know, him playing under a I don't know a Klopp or something like that, who gives him yeah. maybe gives him a little bit more freedom to do what he wants and take those chances and not worry too much about the lack of control you know i think there is a top level footballer in emil smith row and it's going to be a real shame if and it looks like it is going to be the case that he's not going to make it at arsenal here's one from chris who says feels like we're in a bit of a conundrum here on one hand we need to sell players enable us to bring others in but on the other hand we don't want to put players up for sale as that will greatly diminish our negotiating position if we get a good bid for one of esr ramsdale or nelson i think we'll definitely consider it maybe in ketia too but he's been getting decent minutes this year I think we'll want to keep him until the summer when the striker market looks a lot better. What are your thoughts? I don't think it's a case of Arsenal going to put players up for sale, isn't it? The days of placing players on the transfer, <laughs> the transfer market. List. Yeah, it's a bit football manager-esque, isn't it? It doesn't really happen. Um, it, but it is just a case of, like like Chris says here, if a decent bid comes in for one of those two players, as much as Arsenal maybe are not desperately you know, waving a sign around saying, sign these players, if a decent bid came in for one of them, it might be that, Although they'd rather do it in the summer, January might, you know, there there, there might be a chance of of uh, of having it done. I mean, like with ESR in particular, this is speculation. I don't know. It honestly wouldn't shock me. I'd be intrigued to to get your view on whether it's something Arsenal should do. Would you take twenty five million for ESR and not replace him? Like work off the assumption that it'll be Fabio Vieira. I mean, he has played so little for Arsenal that it's 
almost like, are you better with the, the money in the bank? And then, I mean, you put the pictures up. I, we should talk about Nketiah and Ramsdale as well. But with ESR, would you just let him go to just get the sort of cash in? I wouldn't let him go without bringing anyone he, in. He won't get. He won't get. He won't get more expensive. He won't get worth more to you the way Arteta's using him. No, but I wouldn't let him go and not bring anyone in January. I don't. I don't think Arsenal are in a position in their squad to be able to do that. Even though he's not getting that many minutes now, mm. there could be a time. There could be a time where he has to get those minutes, and I think you'd leave yourself too open. You you've got two bigger competitions that you're you're still aiming for. I think yeah. to be able to let a player like Smith Rowe go, I think no. I think only way you do that if you've got someone absolutely lined up who you know that money will be used to be able to sign and to strengthen the the bid for the second half of the season. I and mean, we've got Eddie and Aaron Ramsdale up on the screen here. If you're watching this on YouTube, this, these are another two players when you're talking about, is it time to sell? I mean, we know Sammy Mottbell at the Mail wrote a story the other day saying that Palace again are knocking on Arsenal's door and asking about Eddie Nketiah. It's interest now that goes back, you know, years. It's been very, very close to happening at points and then not ended up happening. But that interest remains from Crystal Palace. You know, Arsenal, Sammy reported, had told Palace at this stage, they're not willing to consider offers for Eddie this month. Um, but again, you know, should that be their position? If they've got a chance, maybe of a Tony, you know, if that if that is a deal that is there to be done. And everything that I think we are all hearing is that, that Tony to Arsenal is very, very unlikely. Although there's loads of talk about it and you're seeing all these stories written about it. What we're hearing is that it is very unlikely that that mm -hmm. is going to happen in January. That Arsenal are even, you know, that keen on getting it done in January when he got the sort of the finances that are involved. But if that is there to be done and selling Eddie for say, I don't know, what would you say? 40 million is a realistic price for Eddie in this market? 30 million? I don't know what, what you'd what you'd say right now is a well if if I don't know if Dominic Solanke's been mentioned at a sort of 60 million pound sort of mark, I'd say 40 million in today's market for Eddie is you know what did Balogun yeah. go 30? 30. 30 yeah. odd. And I think Eddie's far more proven than Balogun is and scored more goals in the Premier League than Balogun is. And he's going to, mm. he'd be going to another Premier League club. I think 40 is a realistic number. I'm sticking with 40. You know, if that was there, if it, so if Palace came and knocked on the door in like a week's time and said, here's 40 million on the table for Eddie and Ketia, if that allowed you to sign um, Tony or another striker, would you do it? <laughs> Not Tony. I, I just don't. You know, I mean, this seems to be Arsenal's view of the striker market as well. I just don't see someone that comes in and, and changes the club. No. And if you sign Tony, Solanke, uh, who else is... I mean, no, Solanke's not really on the market either. And we don't really think Tony actually is up for sale unless you come in at crazy money. Yeah. Any of those players, if you sort of have them, if you sign them, you have them in the summer, you just create a sort of headache down the road where, I mean, maybe you can, because Gabriel Jesus is so fluid positionally, maybe you can fit a, your January signing Gabriel Jesus and the superstar striker into your wage bill, into your squad planning. It seems quite difficult though, doesn't it? So no, I, I know that Eddie Nketiah is going to infuriate people in the months ahead. I also know he's probably going to score one or two goals that swing a game Arsenal's way. And that's not kind of ideal. Like, you know, you want someone that does more, but the guy, the, the guys that could do more may well be available in the summer. Mm. Ossiemen, Sesco, Boniface, you know, take your pick. Like Arsenal will have Champions League money. And we forget when we talk about all the FFP stuff in a few you know, in a few windows time, you would hope that Arsenal will year in, year out, be having that extra 40, 60 million of Champions League money to play with in their FFP calculations. They haven't had that whilst they built a Champions League contender, which I think they are. So no, and I just don't fancy Tony at, at any price tag, really, because you're talking about March before he's, he's useful, you know, unless someone wants to give him for free. No, not having it. Ramsdale, I know, we can't, I can't believe we're back on Tony again. I know. I Ramsdale, I think out of all the players, if, if a big, big came in for Ramsdale, that's one I think you'd probably have to consider if you're Arsenal, just because you know 
you know, Riot is the goalkeeper. Ramsdale's not going to play too much. You are leaving yourself a bit open then if Ramsdale, you know, you'd have to sign a replacement if Ramsdale got, if Ramsdale went, obviously in January. So you'd have to spend some of that money bringing in a replacement goalkeeper because I don't think you can go with Carl Hine for the second half of the season. So you would have to spend some of that on a replacement. But, you know, say, say Newcastle came knocking with 50 million for Aaron Ramsdale in, in January. I think that's one you'd probably have to consider, even though I don't think, I think it would it is a little bit dangerous to do so because you would be weakening your squad at that stage of the season. We've got a couple of questions here um, uh, on this matter before we sort of move on and, and focus on Liverpool a little bit. One here from, uh, I don't even know if that, that's not even a name, is it? It's just a JIDF32 says, you keep talking about Arteta selling players he doesn't trust. Truth is, most managers won't trust their entire 25-man squad, not even Pep. So why would Arsenal want to sell the likes of Reese who are second, third choice players? Uh, he then talks about also there is clamour for a new striker. Um, and he says, second, if we get a striker, that means we'd have to sell one of our current guys. Most would want Eddie, but that would mean Jesus would want to leave in the summer because he doesn't come to be a second choice after a season. Strikers aren't really rotated. We would find ourselves trying to find another second choice striker in the summer. And that would be a vicious cycle. And um, kind of following on from that, this one from the review guy says, hi, Charles, great content. My question is, if Arsenal were to sign a striker this window or in the summer, what would that role be? What uh, would be the role of Jesus? Do you think Arteta would bench him? For me personally, I'd like to see Jesus play as a 10 of Odegaard. So both of these kind of talking about the impact of a potential striker and what it would be for Jesus. I don't think it necessarily would mean Jesus would want to leave in the summer. And if it does, then that's a bit ridiculous on Jesus's part. You can't just go if you're the only recognised striker. You can't complain if you're, you know, you're at a Champions League club, a club with ambitions winning the Champions League. You know, you've got to accept there's going to be other strikers there and that you might not play week in, week out. You can't just throw your toys out the pram. And I wouldn't expect Jesus to do that. Um, and the thing with Jesus, as is mentioned, I think, is it here, um, that he has the ability to play in a number of roles, Jesus, I think. you know, he could. Yeah, I I'm wouldn't do sure, that. I'm not sure about the number 10 role, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you can play Jesus out wide and that gives you the opportunity then to rest either a Martinelli or a Saka. We saw earlier on this season, Jesus performed very well in while Saka was out um, and he did it for Manchester City time and time again. And, um, you know, that's a way of potentially resting one of the one of the wingers is using Jesus in that role and having another number nine in that in that position. So, yeah, I mean, it, when the striker does come in and I think oh, before we get we'll get on to Sancho in a minute before a striker does come in. And we, I think we're both expecting that will happen in one of the next two windows, probably the summer. Mm. How do you envisage Jesus's role sort of? moving forward with a new striker to compete with well i mean if we take if we work off the assumption it's the summer and it's a i mean it, it kind of depends on on the names i think a lot of the the sort of first question there worked off the assumption that it would be a like defined definite upgrade that it's a sort of no you know that almost they're taking almost the metaphorically but who knows maybe even actually the number nine shirt off Jesus's back. But, you know, that is of the players that, that could be available to Arsenal. That is Ossiemen, maybe. Mm. And I don't think anyone else, I don't think anyone else that Arsenal could sign would come in in the summer as the absolute first choice. And Jesus is going to have to deal with it. And even Ossiemen, I think it's, I think the way it would work is it's sort of, you've got to win your place, Victor. Uh, Gabby starts the season as the number nine. Like I think a lot of the players that that we talk about, as as exciting as they are, would would come in knowing they have to take the starting role off Jesus. That they would almost be the rotation option. And then, like you say, there would be games where new striker, whoever it might be, plays alongside Jesus, or Jesus plays on the left or right, and you you open up competition. So I think. I think that's a little bit worry, a bit, a little bit of an unnecessary worry. And look, this is elite team sport at the yeah. highest level. You have to expect that every season your 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 jersey's in up for competition. I mean, mm. you know, we've both. I mean, I've certainly reported, and I know you have as well on on Jarrell Hatto, the uh, young Ajax defender. I mean, one thing I hadn't appreciated, and I thought Sam quite Sam Dean quite nicely noted in his piece today. That's a real gauntlet thrown at, at Jakob Kivior moment, that isn't it? Even just the re the reports of interest and Arsenal doing their work on this sort of centre back, left back hybrid player. That's a challenge to Kivior. You've got six months to 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 prove that we don't need to spend that money. Um, you know that is just that's the nature of it, and that's what you want at Arsenal. 
I think one of the sort of criticisms you'd make of latter day Arsene Wenger is there were too many players that were just sort of picked up like an El Nene just to plug a gap in the squad. And, you know, like a Cedric in early Arteta times that they were just there. They were sort of like, well, we'll play if we need to, mate. I think the Arsenal squad needs to be one where, I mean, look, Jidef32 is right to say you'll never have 25 players that are all in line. But actually, you go and look at what Pep does sometimes. Jack Grealish will not play, or Riyad Mahrez when he was there, will not play for like four months as a starter. But then they can win it back. Mm. And there is real competition for about, among about 20 players. That's where Arteta needs to be better though, isn't it? I think is keeping those players more involved who aren't in the team there and then, you know, keeping them involved, making them feel like they can win their place back. And I think with Arteta, there's there's definitely, if you're out in the cold, you feel very much out in the cold and you don't think you've got a chance really of winning your winning your place back. And when, you know, this comment here says most managers won't trust their entire 25-man squad. I think when you look at certainly Pep and even Klopp, they use their their lesser players far more than Mikel does. Mm. You know, when you're talking about Smith Rowe and Reese Nelson, and you've highlighted some of the players at Liverpool, like your Curtis Jones or your Harvey Elliott, players like that, they do play more, they do get more minutes, and so they do feel more involved and they are more ready to to hit the ground running when they are called upon because they've just played more more, more football. And I think that's what Arteta definitely, you know, needs to needs to work on. Interesting here, I thought, when he's talking about the clamour for the new striker, how it's not well thought out, he said, first thing is that our current strikers aren't scoring a lot because of the style of play and how everything goes for our wide forwards who prefer to drift in and shoot and make crosses to um, to the other wide forwards. It's not because they aren't getting into good areas or they're missing tons of chances per 90. The new striker would get the same amount of service. And when I was watching that Fulham game at the weekend, that was constantly going through my head. It was like, even if Arsenal had an, you know, a Tony or whoever the players who have been linked in terms of the strikers, I don't, I didn't see them making a difference in terms of how Arsenal were playing in that game, just because of the way Arsenal were playing. And that's why now, if you, if you had, if I had sixty million pounds on the table right now and said, what player would you sign for Arsenal now, right now, I'd be still going for another, uh, another wide attacking forward yes. rather than a central yes. striker. Yes. You know, yes. I'd be, I'd be ploughing that money into Pedro Neto or someone like that who could really come on. And I just think the way Arsenal play would be more important right now. I, there's definite need for another striker, 100%. But I think now, here in January, I still think that uh, if you're going to improve the attacking department, it'd be a winger for me. But uh, that is personal opinion. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Talking about wingers, Look at this what man here on the, on the screen. Um, this is an interesting one, I think. You wanted to talk about this, didn't you? On a, a Jaden Sancho, who is it's not done yet, but very, very close to returning. Very, to very, very, very close. Yeah, on loan. Um, uh, signing that has not worked, it's safe to say, for Manchester United. Um, so go on, floor is yours. What did you want to talk about with Jaden Sancho? Yeah, I mean, when I posted a story this morning, just saying it's, it's very close to being done. It just hit me that, I mean, you know, obviously people have mentioned it. I've seen it in chats and the like, but someone just said Arsenal should have been all over this. And I think one thing I would say is obviously Borussia Dortmund get a better deal out of Manchester United than their great rivals Arsenal would. But I really would have quite liked to have had a go at this. I think one thing that I was reading Rafa Honigstein's piece on, on what he's going to sort of bring to Dortmund and why Dortmund are back in. And one of the points he was making was, Dortmund have a lot of counter-attacking players. They don't have someone that's as good at sort of breaking down teams in possession play. 
and the point he was making, Sancho is, is excellent at that. Dortmund at the time were used to facing a lot of packed defences and, and Sancho found a way. He's just a really talented footballer. And I mean, I can't quite shake the guy that was for three seasons in Dortmund was a player that kind of got an assist or a goal every game. That is someone that's worth sort of taking a punt on because we do see a lot with, Man you know, Manchester United, it's the great vortex of, it's a sort of elite level West Ham. You shouldn't really read too much into a player based on, on what happens there. Mm. I, I want to get your view because I think I'm quite set in my ways of like, this would have been, you know, I'm, I'm just theoretical here. Like if you put, say to me that Arsenal uh, have to cover all his wages, I'm saying, no, thank you. But I think, you know, let's say that you can make the finances work. I would love to have made that deal work. Yeah, it's weird. I was thinking about it yesterday when all the talk started about him and about to Dortmund. And I was I was thinking about it yesterday, thinking, you know, it, would, it almost would be perfect for Arsenal. Um, I really like Sancho. And like you, I don't put too much into what's happened to him at Manchester United just because it's Manchester United. It's kind of like players who have been to Chelsea and it's just Chelsea. And so it's, it's it can be very hard to perform there. And I think it can be very hard to perform at Manchester United at the moment because of the mess that that club is from, you know, all levels on and off the pitch. And Sancho's a really talented footballer. I think he would have, you know, he kind of fits what Arsenal are looking for to try and improve in the second half of the season. I wouldn't want to be sitting here plus spending a load of money on him. I think the whole sort of damaged goods thing is runs true a little bit in that he needs to play himself into form again because of everything that's gone on. You know, his head's all over the place. Confidence will be over the place. I think that will help going to Dortmund, a club that he knows and he likes, and he knows that that club likes him. That will help with his, you know, sort of self-belief. And I'm not sure coming to Arsenal would have done because of all the spotlight on it. It would have been like, oh my God, Sancho's gone for, Arsenal gone for Sancho. What are they doing? And he immediately would have question marks hanging over him the second he walks in the door. And that's probably not going to help a player who's, head must be all over the place after what's gone on in the last six months so certainly in a way I was sitting there thinking you know maybe Arsenal should have taken a punt and seen if Manchester United have been interested just on a six-month loan deal to get through to the end of the season to cover for Saka or Martinelli or whatever but then there was a lot another part of me being a little bit more realistic thinking he's probably not going to be in the best state to come in and hit the ground running and perform over the second half of the season and that was that would be the one sort of red flag for me on it. I think for him, I think Dortmund's a much better move than Arsenal. Um, it would have been an interesting one that I would have been quite excited by had Arsenal have even tried it. I can't imagine Manchester United would have allowed it anyway. But um, but yeah, that's my kind of views on it. I think I just think Dortmund for him works an awful lot better right now than, than somewhere like Arsenal would have done. Phenomenal deal, by the way. I mean, that's mm. the other thing. Three and a half million euros, loan fee and and a bit of wages. Have they got any sort of obligation or, or none, option to buy in that? None. They're completely, they're completely free to do with, with Sancho as he will. And you do make a good point that it's going to be, it, it's a little bit away from prying eyes as well, isn't it? You know, there yeah. will be interest. I think that's really important. Um, but I mean, also by the time he, I mean, the, the other thing is a real chance to prove himself at the highest level. Um, those Champions League games coming up, Dortmund need a bit of a, a miracle whereas I think for Arsenal the other challenge would be like he would have been the third guy and if Martinelli and Saka got back into form I mean he in many ways he could have then really understood his mate Reese Nelson's experience couldn't he because yeah. you'd have had these two great mates who grew up together both warming the Arsenal bench but um like I think I think these are the deals that maybe you've kind of got to be looking at in January the, the same would be, would be the case I think with Barcelona and these would be much easier to do. It's what Arsenal did so brilliantly with Erdegaard is just sort of start looking along Barcelona's books of very expensive wingers. Sort of say, who's not playing minutes, whether that's Xiao Felix, Ferran Torres, who I think has been playing a lot of late, Rafinha, maybe. I think that he's one that's quite important to them. But in January, I would be thinking, is there any of those I could I could get out and I could sort of do a, a, a deal like the Erdegaard deal, maybe a first option, maybe not. That might just, I mean, it's not its not what we're expecting. You know, we're expecting a defender maybe to come in on loan. But like, I'm like you, I think getting someone that could ease the burden on Martinelli and Saka would be much more valuable right now, um, even with sort of the looming departure of Tomiyasu and, and no real sign of Partey coming back anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. 
I do think getting a defender is really important. I, I definitely do think getting a defender, you know, loan, whatever. I just think that extra little bit of cover is going to be really important to Arsenal in the second half season. But yeah, I, I think a winger and another option in an attacking sense to do it would be a real, uh, real boost as well. Right, Arsenal versus Liverpool this weekend at the Emirates. Second of three meetings in fairly quick succession between the two sides. 1-1 in the first game. Wait and see what happens this weekend. And then we've got the big, big league game coming up at the start of February as well. Interesting one this week. I mean, it's a really important game this for Arsenal because of what's happened in the last couple of games. You know, they've got a win, really. You do not want to be going into that little break on the back of three successive defeats. You'd be five points behind the leaders in the league. You'd be out of the FA Cup, out of the League Cup. You know, suddenly all the crisis talk, I think, which we've seen and heard in the last week will just amplify even more. So it's a really big game for Arsenal. What are you expecting or what do you think Mikel might do? I mean, we're going, we're at, are you at Colney tomorrow? No, I'm on holiday tomorrow. Oh, yes, oh. you are, of course. I shall I be will. at Colney tomorrow. If my son is well enough to go back to school tomorrow, I will be at Colney if he's not. He's those grown-up problems, aren't they? I know, I'm going to have to give it a miss because I'll be looking after him. <laughs> but it's going to be really interesting how Mikel approaches this game. I think, you know, usually FA Cup third round, it's your, yeah change your team, you rotate, you give players a chance, you play minutes, but, you know, given it's Liverpool, given it's at home, given it's Arsenal have already, already out the League Cup, given they've lost their last two games, it just definitely just adds a little bit extra importance to this match. So, I can't imagine he's going to make too many changes. How do you think he'll approach it? Full strength, I think. I, I mean, you know, barring something in some injuries we don't know about, I think you will see the strongest Arsenal eleven that can be fielded on the pitch and like rightly what so. You, what do you think is the strongest Arsenal eleven for this game then? Because I think Ram, Ramsdale will be in goal. Don't I? I think Ramsdale will start. I think that will be the one sort of... Uh, what? I wouldn't be so sure. Do That's not right again. I don't know, but like... I think, I think he wants Ram, to... I think Ramsdale starts this game. I, re- I really do. But I've said that so many times this season and Ryan started. So I'll get, I'm sure I'll end up being wrong. But I think Ramsdale starts this game. But anyway, what do you what do you think then? Sort of in terms of the outfield players, is Arsenal's strongest team for this game against Liverpool? <laughs> That's a fair point. Um, I mean, I wouldn't shock me if they go for the same eleven that played at Anfield. So that's Havertz is your midfielder. Tommy is Tommy Asu gone? Yeah, he's not. He's he not around. Be gone. So yeah, it'll be Zinchenko. Well, I don't know the injury. We don't know how if it's going to fit. You know, it's pro- probably going to be Kivior. I would imagine if he's. Well, then it has to. Be, yeah, it has to be Kivior, I guess, by default, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, thank goodness Mo Salah's away. I know. Uh, and everyone, but we should all say everyone of an Arsenal affiliation, get out your Egypt tops, start supporting the the Pharaohs. I think they need to get to the quarterfinals, and then he's probably not going to play. But semi-finals would be good to just. Know yeah, but then that means Arsenal won't have Elneny for, for Liverpool. It, it's just, you know what, it's like chopping off one of my legs, but it's chopping off one of my legs to save my life. That's what it is. So go. sorry, mate. Um, I, so I, yeah, I would, I would then run with, yeah, Havertz, Kivy or left back. I think he'll go Raya in goal, actually. Um, and it will just start the old uh, drumbeat of Aaron Ramsdale exit rumours again. I just think there's no reason not to. And as much as I often find the sort of people on the internet talking about Arsenal trophy droughts they're doing it a little bit in bad faith because the sort of dates on it always seem to only include like the last two years of of Wenger's trophy drought but it has been a while since Arsenal have won a trophy Mm. um it's not like the FA Cup is not at the moment looking like anything like a great hardship especially with that break you know they've had they'll have had eight days off they'll have 13 days off after it there's just no reason not to um I mean it's it's maybe it's just about like you know if you want to bring Jorginho in for... I, I would bring Jorginho in for this game. He, I, That would be a change I'd make for this game. I, I don't think he's played enough recently, Jorginho. And uh, I'd, I'd be playing him. I'd be playing Declan Rice in where Havertz is next to Odegaard. And I'd play Jorginho at the base of the uh, midfield for me. I think that'd be that's quite an important change that he should make for this game. Yeah, I actually, I do really like that idea. I'm not like, uh, you know, whichever one it is, I just want him to sort of be picking it based on who he thinks is best for the game. Mm. And I, I thought the one thing that Arsenal really lacked at Anfield, not that they should expect to have it, but there were definitely moments where I was like, if Jorginho was on the pitch, they could just take the air out of this game for three or four minutes. And I think especially at the Emirates, that might be quite a worthwhile tool. Um, yeah, Jesus up front. Uh, Martinelli and Saka, they'll get back into form. I don't see any reason to doubt that. 
And yeah, I, I think this is a really big, exciting game. And I also think for Liverpool, who have the EFL Cup semi-finals to think about, and I know Klopp's not obsessive about the FA Cup. So they've got three days, three days after this game, they've got Fulham, mighty Fulham, who they will no doubt be fearful of. I do. I could see Klopp rotating a bit more. I mean, he'll still then have Gakpo and Jota up front or something yeah. like that. But interesting what they do in midfield. I remember Callister's come back because they've got no Endo either because he's gone to the Asia Cup and obviously no Mo Salah, so they're going to be forced into at least a couple of changes. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what Klopp does. Um, I think, like you, I think Jesus certainly comes back. It will be the Martinelli, Jesus, Saka will be the front line. You know, Odegaard. Rice, they're definitely going to play. I think the key thing, yeah, I'd, I'd be going for Jorginho. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he does just stick with the same, you know, Havertz, Odegaard and, and Rice. But I just feel like this is a game for, for Jorginho to come in. And I think it would probably be the same for the for the league game against them as well. And um, uh, yeah, Kivior at left back, that is, he didn't, he wasn't great at Fulham, was he? I kind of, I quite, quite like Jakob Kivior though, I do. Mm. and But it is hard, isn't it? I mean, he's not a left back. And so you are sort of, Square peg around holes, as well as he, you know, he can do that job, and he's shown he can do that job. He's not. Can I ask you a question on, on, yeah. on Kivior in the back four? Mm. Um, I mean, I know there's a relatively obvious answer to this about where Saliba is positioned, but do you think it's it's now getting a bit silly that we're not seeing Ben White be the one invert into midfield? He's played defensive midfielder before. I, I, everything everything changes. I think it's a bigger change than people appreciate. But maybe an FA Cup tie is the game to say, well, what happens if Saliba's the, the right centre back, Gabriel's the cent- central centre back, and we just flip around the inversion? What happens? Yeah, I mean, it could do. It. You feel like he's he's got the, the tools to do it. It's just whether they've worked on it at all, and to just suddenly do it because it does take it would take quite a bit of, of working on it. I do wonder with Ben White as well. He's clearly struggling at the moment. Mm. You know, he's not a hundred percent. We know that. He's just he's not he's not overlapping at all, really, Ben White now at all compared to you know think back to last season. It was such a huge part of Arsenal's game, and it's just not happening. Whether that's by uh, is tactical or if it's just that he doesn't have the capability of getting up and down the pitch at the moment, like like he had the, the rare occasion he does get on the that. The rare the occasion gone. The first half against Fulham, I, I, you know, that was the flank we could see, wasn't it? And every time they hit that ball behind White, you could see him just sort of grimacing as he was running back. He's just, there is something, something manageable, but not quite there. Yeah. Yeah. He's clearly not hundred percent. That's absolutely blatantly obvious. Um, and I imagine that is why we're not seeing him bomb up and down the, the flank line, like he has done before when he has done it, Arsenal had a bit of joy out of it in, in the past, you know, the goal at Luton came from him getting on the overlap and standing the ball up for Jesus to head home. And then the, the chance that Jesus missed in the West Ham game was exactly the same thing as that. So when he does do it, you see Arsenal suddenly, you know, add another bit of threat to their game, and it's and it is a real shame. And but it also does beg the question again, you know, do you need to be running him into the ground at the moment? Why did he come on against PSV and that dead rubber away from home instead of Walters coming on and playing and playing in that role? And so again, it leaves questions over Arteta and his use of the squad and how he rotates his players. But um, yeah, no, I don't. I can't imagine they're suddenly going to flip it on their head and suddenly we're going to see Ben Ben White invert. And I do think it'll it'll stick as it goes. And you know, Kivior's going to have a really important role to play. We still don't know on Zinchenko's injury. Maybe we'll find out a little bit more tomorrow at the press conference, um, you know, how bad it is or how long he's going to be out for. But if he is out for a while, the fact that Tommy Asu's not going to be around for at least the next, what, four weeks, five weeks, and Kivior's going to have a really important part to play now. Um, I think we've got a question, actually. Here we go, from uh, Joyce. said, if we're struggling with defenders, I wouldn't mind seeing Saka play as a one-off left wing-back for Liverpool and get a break from the kickings on the right wing. <laughs> <laughs> he could just get kicked in a different position. Yeah, he, he probably would just get kicked in a different position, wouldn't he? I saw that Arsenal, uh, there's quite a lot, isn't there, today, about Arsenal right into the PGMOL asking for more uh, protection for Bukayo Saka. Um, yeah, yeah, that will work. Yeah, no, I don't want to see Bukayo Saka at left wing back uh, against Liverpool. I mean, he could do that. And you know, Bukayo Saka could play in pretty much any position, and he'd play pretty well. We know that he can play that position as well. But, uh, but no, it's not one that I'd really be too keen to see uh, to see this weekend. I don't know about you. What well, I would be very intrigued to see at some stage, ten minutes, Saka slowly drifts over to the left wing. Martinelli shifts inside. Jesus shifts outside. We should see that more. I'd love to see. I mean, I don't see what 
especially if you're sort of looking at a team that now, I mean, Martinelli's a great header of the ball. Jesus is, gets in heading positions and misses, and you've got Havertz. Someone that could sort of, and Saka still gets to the byline on his weaker foot. So again, we're talking about the right game, the right moment, the right opponent situation. I don't think there's anything that should say Saka shouldn't play on the left wing in moments. And hmm. the, the, Martinelli as well can go and shift out to the right wing or or Erdegaard can, and you know, you make it work because it's worth looking at. I think, yeah. I, I like the Fulham game as well, how much of a challenge would it have been for Fulham if, if they'd almost done the exact same thing they did, but Saka was on the left flank and he was going at um, Castagna, who Martinelli had on toast. Like, these are the things that it's... It, it's just a little sprinkling so that you need to see from Arteta. And actually those things can make a huge difference in a Premier League title race. Yeah, you can. You see it all the time when suddenly players switch wings and it suddenly causes problems when, whereas before... Well, Salah been, goes yeah. to striker. I mean, it, it it killed Liverpool against Arsenal, but it was something that was worth trying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, we've got a few questions now before we wrap this up as we get towards the hour mark. A few different sort of questions. Here's one from... Is that How would you pronounce that, James? Chien? 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 Chien. We'll go with Chien. Apologies if that's wrong. Uh, should Arsenal replace their goalkeeping coach, Anaki Kanna? Uh, from memory, Kanna is recommended or okay. Transfers like Runison uh, could add Matt Turner, Turner. Into, that, into that mix as well. <laughs> Since joining Arsenal, Ramsdale has not improved and a few areas regressed slightly. Examples, launch pass completion dropped, crosses stopped and dropped. Kanna and Arteta appear to be aligned on bringing Raya in, with Kanna having worked with Raya previously at Brentford, but that situation has caused a lack of confidence in both keepers. Uh, whether due to the confidence issue or the pressure by the media, Raya also seems to have regressed since joining Arsenal compared to his form the last two seasons at Brentford. Um, interesting one, this. There's been lots of talk about Anaki Kanna and the role that he has at Arsenal and some of the, the sort of misses, certainly Runison and, and Matt Turner as well. And you know that he does have a big say in who comes in into the goalkeeping department. So there's, I think there's definitely pressure on on Canna, and I think the the Raya thing, as much as it needs to work for Arteta, I think it certainly needs to work for for Canna as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, goalkeeper is such a specialised position, and then goalkeeper coach within that that I I feel like it's hard. I, I feel like I can't assess yeah. really, but like you say, like the signings and Runison Turner, it's quite a particular thing signing a good backup, but they've been very bad although did make a profit on matt turner so is that the turner one was really weird though wasn't it because when you look at him and where he's poor it's the exact areas where you need to be good to play in this arsenal team (laughs) it was a really odd signing matt turner even if they did make a profit on him in the end i think it betrayed a sort of total from whoever's from everyone that signed it off it just betrayed a total failure to understand what they needed in a goalkeeper as the backup goalkeeper, because we were all like, well, you know, he, he's a good shot stopper. And, and we saw that. We've seen that. We've seen that with Forrest. Yeah. You're like, oh, well, you know, the only, but actually it turned out, and I was wrong when I said this, it turns out that being a good shot stopper doesn't matter, even if you're Arsenal's backup goalkeeper, because you'll still be playing for the Arsenal team. You're not going to have to do much saving. You know, there's half an argument that Runnison for his ball playing qualities was the better idea of what you needed as backup, even if he was, so disastrous when the ball was kicked at him that <laughs> bless him um yeah i'm like i have to say i'm i don't feel like an expert but with my non-expert view on it i'm pretty skeptical about what he's done the only thing i would take issue with i think raya's been quite good especially of late like we've not talked about him we've not started this saying you know we've had a brief conversation about maybe ramsdale comes in but like he's been good and the odd howler at Luton aside, I actually think he's been better than than most people will say. I just think it's an easy story in the media. I think that's something we've got to bear in mind. It's everyone knows about it. Everyone's got an opinion. The big names like Jamie Carragher, he has something he wants to say about it, and that drives conversations. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Rye's been Rye's been decent. I don't, you know, there's been the odd mistake, of course, but I think on the whole he's been decent. And I still think and I'm convinced that we'll see a much better David Ryan next season than we, than we will uh, this season as well. Um, 
here's one from B uh, B McAtee. I think this is Ben. I think his first name is Ben. I'm sure I've seen him pop up either on Twitter or some uh, yeah. somewhere before. Um, says extra time, a random one. Which previous season does this current one remind you of? For me, the 2007-08 season when we pushed for the title and did well in Europe with a great young team. I see some similarities with the 2013-14 season two where we finally ended the trophy drought this doesn't remind me of 07 08 last season reminded me massively of 07 08 i thought they were really really they well i just thought it really did remind me of everything about it again young team went for the title and that that just felt more like last season when the emirates was alive it was a really surprising season no one expected it to happen and suddenly they were going for the titles and they played great football and um so yeah those two seasons were comparable to me this one feels more like I think this this feels like the the Leicester title winning season when Arsenal were in and around it. I never felt like they played well that season, aside from a few games earlier on in the season. But they were always kind of in the mix, just a little bit behind Leicester, and could never get quite close enough after that defeat at Manchester United. And the football wasn't great; they were there, but they weren't playing at their best. And so I'd say for me right now, that's the season that this reminds me the most of. I have to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you only in that I don't feel like I can also put my finger on one that's that's quite different. I mean, I was almost thinking the sort of season that followed that, but I don't worry that it's all going to sort of careen off into a season that wasn't up to standard. Like, I think Arsenal will finish top four and qualify for the Champions League. And I don't think it's going to have that gnawing, like, Leicester feeling of like, oh, we let a special chance go mm. there. Mate, mate. <laughs> Yeah, it's really hard also because we've. I, I thought last season was so kind of unprecedented. Like just the way it all clicked out of nowhere that we've not had a season like that afterwards. So yeah, yeah, 15, 16. I mean, like maybe, maybe. No, actually I'm changing my mind. 97, 98. There were times that season, remember? I remember do remember November of that season. I remember losing a Blackburn three one at the Emirates. I think that was December, early December, and they were booing. Yeah. The, the, the Highbury emptied out. Kevin Gallagher scored a late goal to make it three one. Not Highbury quite as young a team. Out. And um, and then Arsenal went on that amazing run and won the won the double. That'd be nice. Yeah, that. it would be. It would be right. in, I don't in, know if that will happen. Um, o one o two. The double season, the second double season, mm. or sorry, the third in history, but the second in a row, second in quick succession for Wenger. Mm-hmm. In November that season, November or early December, Arsenal lost 4-2 at home to Charlton. Klaus Jensen scored that that amazing lob. I was there with my brother, who was a Charlton fan, who uh, was sitting next to me because my dad couldn't go. And I had to sit next to him for 90 minutes watching Charlton beat Arsenal 4-2, him digging me in the rib the whole time. Um, And then a couple of weeks after that, they lost 3-1 at home to Newcastle. Two games in quick succession. Everyone thought it was over. Everyone was miserable. You know, not good enough. You know, these shock home defeats to Charlton and Newcastle. And then they won like 15 games in a row, whatever it was, and went on and won the double that season as well. So I, I you know, that's what's keeping me going at the moment with these two defeats is that there is, if you're going to lose games like this, it's better to do it in December than it is to do it in April when you're in the mix. And there is still time to turn things around. Arsenal are going to have to go on a good run, but there is still time to turn it around. And I do think this team is capable of doing that as well. So that's... Uh, that's something. This is the last one we've got now, and it's uh, from Austin's 2100. says, do you think some of our top players are becoming complacent or do you think they're burning out due to the amount of matches? And it seems like our test does not seem to be using all the squad players and rotate. Good example is our last Champions League group game where we still played most of our key players. Of course, we're talking about the PSV game there. Wenger used to use these situations to give more minutes to youth players and other players in the squad with less minutes. Uh, love your work, Charlie. Thank you very much. So, yeah, do you think when, when you look at it now, uh, did you get a sense of complacency? Against Fulham, I have to say I didn't. And I did get the sense that they looked a bit knackered and just drained. So yeah. that was what I came across. I didn't really think it's complacent. I think it was more drained and knackered. I, I think you could... I, I, I completely agree. Although maybe you could make the argument that they just... Complacent isn't the wrong... Isn't quite the right word. But it's sort of on, on a scale that ends in complacency. Mm-hmm. The way they um, responded to that opener. I just thought they were like... Uh, yeah, job's done here. Yeah, let's, uh, maybe. Let's... But that isn't quite, you know, that's not sort of saying the squad is riven with complacency. It's just something that happens to people. 
and I just yeah, and then like you say, once it sort of started going wrong, I think they suddenly started feeling their legs and were just like, oh, you know, they 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 just were out of answers for it. I don't yeah. think this is a squad that suffers with complacency. I mean, in the coldest, harshest terms, at this moment in time, there is nothing to be complacent about. No. These players have won nothing. <laughs> like this group of players, and is not the squad that won the FA Cup with Arteta. So and I yeah. I don't know of, I don't really hear that complaint very often that like this squad's got complacent. And I know that if I did, within a few weeks, Arteta would be bombing a few of the guys out, wouldn't he? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. There's one thing that Arteta won't have is complacent players. No doubt about that. Look, we're over an hour now, mate. Thank you very much, as always, for your for your company on this week's episode of Inside Arsenal Extra Time. What's the plans for the weekend? Oh, you're on holiday, aren't you? Yeah, always nice. holiday in January. When are you going? When are you coming back? Uh, I'm back on the 16th, but I think we're going to try and squeeze in a show while I'm on the beach. Yeah. Mostly because, look, I want these January clicks coming my way and that January uh, viewership. I'm sure your fiance is going to be very, very ha happy with her. Uh, she wants those January clicks. <laughs> and you sitting on the bench, uh, sitting on the bench, sitting on the beach, uh, talking to me on your holiday. So, yeah, you're back before Palace, aren't you? Yeah, I'm back 20. before Palace, yeah. I'll see you cool. for that. All right, well, I shall be at the Emirates this weekend. I'll be in the stands. Well, I'm hoping to be at the Emirates this weekend. Bloody tube strikes, which is uh, going to yes. Kicks in at 5.30, so about half time. They, the tube strike but happens. they've said that um, they will try to run. They've yeah. tried. They've I said they'll try. Believe that when I see it. I believe that yeah. when I see it. Um, it's going to be carnage afterwards. Uh, anyway, trying to get back to Paddington for me. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I will uh, I will be there. So enjoy your holiday, mate. Have a great time. And uh, we will be, you know, I'm sure, like you said, we'll be joining up at some point next week in uh, you in sunnier climes. Maybe we'll have a I'm uh, be unbearable. nice sunny backdrop for the uh, for the pod next uh, next week. Have a good one, mate. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Appreciate your time as always. Have a good start to uh, 2024, and yeah, we'll catch up with you next week. Have a good one. See you soon. Bye bye.